0: Chapter fifteen of Non-Combatants and Others by Rose macaulay This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Antony Ogus. Alex at a meeting Daphne took Alex from Violette to stay with her at her club. It was the end of November. Daphne proposed that they should spend a fortnight in town till the end of the art school term, then go down to their house at Cambridge for the Christmas vacation. She meant to spend this period holding meetings about the county of Cambridgeshire with a view to starting village branches of the Society for Promoting Permanent Peace. Meetings, branches, study circles, this was the machinery behind the ideals. Daphne, at times irrelevant, inconsequent, prejudiced, whimsical, perverse, was an idealist and a businesswoman. She made Alex come to meetings while they were in town. She saw in Alex the raw material of a member of the SPPP. She said, You mustn't be selfish, darling. You are a little selfish, you know, and you're old enough now to leave it off. You try to hide from things like an ostrich. You try and pretend they don't exist. In point of fact they do and you know it. You know it all the time. You can't forget it, so you waste your trouble trying. You must leave that to the violettes. They can ignore. You can't. Ignoring. That's always been the curse of this world. We shut our eyes to things, poverty and injustice and vice and cruelty and sweating and slums and the tendencies which make war and we feed ourselves on batter and so on from day to day getting a little fatter and so the evils too go on from day to day getting fatter till they get so corpulent and heavy that when we do open our eyes at last, because we have to, they can scarcely be moved at all. It's sheer criminal selfishness and laziness and stupidity. Mr West was talking about it the other day. I like that young man. He believes in all the right things, and in so many of the wrong ones as well. I can't imagine why. I told him I couldn't imagine why, and he said he found the same difficulty about me. So there we are. However, what was I saying? Oh yes, laziness, selfishness and stupidity. It's those three we've got to fight. We've got to replace them by hard working, hard living and hard thinking. And the last must come first. We've got to think and make everyone think. One of the worst things about a war is that so many of the best thinkers are in the middle of it, and can't think, and may never be able to think again. I don't in the least agree with those complacent young men and women who believe that no one over forty either can or will think. The war has let the old men loose upon the world, I believe is the phrase. Conceited rubbish, of course. They won't talk it when they and their friends are forty-eight, like me personally i know just about as many young fools and obscurantists and militarists as elderly ones any number of both it's not a question of age it's temperament and training but still grant that the young men of fighting age form a very large proportion in each nation of the clearest intellects and the keenest idealists and the best workers for truth and that they are nearly all now in action or put out of action Grant that many of them will never come back, that many others will come back weakened physically and mentally and incapable of the work they might have done before, and some, perhaps, with their mental vision a little blinded and perverted by what they've had to play a part in for so long. That's the worst tragedy of all, of course, that possible perversion. Better never come back at all. Daphne's voice shook momentarily, but she went on bravely. "'Paul would have been a fine worker. "'He was going to be very like his father. "'Well, Paul's gone under, a sacrifice to the brute. Thousands of other finely wrought instruments like Paul "'have been smashed and lost to the world. "'It's an irreparable tragedy, of course, "'but we who are left and who are free "'have got to do their work as well as our own, "'and we've got to begin at once. "'There's no time to be lost.' "'Daphne consulted her watch, and added, "'You'd better come to a meeting of the SPPP at Queen's Hall with me after dinner, dearest. "'It would interest and instruct you. "'Several people are going to speak, including me.' "'It's all right when you speak,' said Alex, "'but some of them are rather the limit, really, mother.' "'Oh, my dear, of course, the very outside edge, over it, what does it matter?' It's causes that count, thank goodness, not the people who work for them when you're my age, you'll have learnt to swallow people without getting indigestion. Now we must have dinner at once, and then you shall come and begin to practise impersonal idealism. It is so important two Alex supposed it must be meetings are so very mixed, speeches so unequal, people so various lack of clear thinking that as daphne had said was probably what was wrong with nearly everyone perhaps it is the commonest defect and the most irritating it makes people talk sentimental rubbish it makes them lump other people together in masses and groups setting one group against another when really people are individual temperaments and brains and souls and unclassifiable it makes them say Alex picked out all these utterances in the Queen's Hall tonight, among many other utterances, truer and sounder and more relevant, indeed indubitably sound, relevant and true, that young men are good and intelligent and pacifist, no, pacifist, and admire Roman Roland, and elderly men bad, stupid and militarist, and admire Ben Hardy, that women are the guardians of life, and therefore mind war more than men do, that democracies are inherently and consistently peaceful enough, stated, and intelligent enough, assumed, to prevent wars from ever occurring if the reins of foreign policy were in their hands. "'Rubbish!' muttered Daphne. "'He's missing the whole point, which is to make democracies so by a long and difficult education. Everyone knows they're not much sense yet.' that the reason why war is objectionable is that the human body is sacred and should be inviolate. What did that mean precisely, Alex wondered, that women are the chief sufferers from war? A debatable point anyhow, and what did it matter? And why divide humanity into sexes further than nature has already done so? That among the newspaper owners and members of the governments of each nation, were some so misguided and lacking in financial foresight as to encourage wars because they had some shares in armament industries, and hope, presumably, to recoup themselves therefrom for the heavy financial losses which they, in common with all other members of the community, must suffer in case of war. Fools they must be, Alex commented, and speculated that these covetous individuals, even granting that they had pinned their hopes entirely on the financial issue, must be feeling pretty badly sold. For their other and nicer shares would be declining. Their income tax was enormous, and they probably had to pay super-tax too, which was even worse. The papers they owned were losing the advertisements they lived by, and their food cost them more. A bad look-out for those covetous ones.' From this the speaker got on to capitalism in general. Well, Alex was entirely with him there. A new speaker, much better, quite good in fact, was speaking of secret ententes, the speaker's will at these meetings. The Moroccan crisis, that was rather interesting. The balance of power, a rotten theory, but surely as things were necessary. Yes, as things were, but not as they were going to be for there must in time be general disarmament-disarmament a fancy some lean to and others hate no doubt but most hate it the question was would they hate it more after this war or less si vis bellum para bellum that was the true version of that saying true for it had been proved so look at the germans preparing for war for years look at all the other nations also preparing for years "'and now they had all got it. "'That is what armies and fleets lead to. "'So instead of armies and fleets, "'let us have international councils for arbitration, "'a concert for Europe.' "'A jolly sound notion,' thought Alex, "'but wished the speaker would meet rather more precisely "'the obvious difficulties in the way of this method of keeping the peace. "'It certainly was a sound notion,' One felt that it could, after much shaping and experiment and failure, be workable, be made something of. There was no earthly reason why not. And certainly the more it was discussed and publicly aired in all the nations, the better for its chances. But people were apt on this subject not to be quite practical enough. They often laid stress on the advantages of the principle rather than on its detailed methods of working of course the advantages if it could be worked were incontrovertible surely no one could be found to question them and here alex found a weakness she had vaguely felt before in the standpoint taken by many of these people many of them not nearly all but many seemed to imply we a select few of us called pacifists hate war the rest of you rather like it we will not allow you to have it "'we will stop it.' "'As if some of a race stricken with agonising plague "'had risen up and said to the rest, "'You, most of you, are content to be ill "'and in anguish and perishing, "'but we do not like it. "'We insist on stopping it and preventing its recurrence.' "'An admirable resolution, but ill-worded. "'What they meant, what they would mean "'if they thought and spoke accurately, "'was surely, we all loathe this horror,' How should any one not loathe it? We all want to stop it occurring again, and we have thought of a way which we believe may work. This is it. That was sense. That was what was wanted, that any one who thought they had found a way should use it and expound it to the rest. But oh, it wasn't sense. It was madness to talk as if people differed in aim and desire, not merely in method. For there was one desire everyone had in these days, beneath, through and above their thousand others. People wanted money, wanted victory, wanted liberty, wanted economic individualism, wanted socialism, wanted each other, wanted love, wanted beauty, wanted virtue, wanted a vote, wanted fame, wanted genius, wanted God, wanted things to drink, even to eat, wanted more wages, wanted less taxes, less work, wanted children, wanted adventure, wanted death, wanted democracy, oligarchy, anarchy, any otherarchy, wanted new clothes, wanted a new heaven, or a new earth, or both, wanted the old back again, wanted the moon. They wanted any or all of these things, and a thousand more, but through them, above them, beneath them, a quenchless fire of longing, burning, searing and consuming, more passionately as the crazy weeks of frustration swung by, they wanted peace. Even some who wanted nothing else in this world, or any other, just had energy to want peace. There were those so tired and so forlorn and so battered and broken that they could scarcely want at all. They had lost too much. They had almost too utterly lost their health or their courage or their limbs or their hope or their faith or their sons, husbands, brothers, lovers and friends or their minds to want anything from life except its end. But still with broken, drifting, numbed desires they wanted peace. All the heterogeneous crowd of humanity, so at variance in almost everything else, was just now surely one in the common bond of that great desire. They swayed, that heterogeneous crowd, into Alex's giddy vision. She saw them thus strangely, perhaps unwelcomely, linked in incongruous fellowship, those who had possibly never before believed themselves to want the same things. The one desire linked in all the warring nations, socialists and individualistic men of business, capitalists and wage earners slum landlords and slum dwellers judges and criminals soldiers and conscientious objectors catholics and quakers atheists and priests prize fighters and poets representatives of societies differing so widely in some ways as the fellowship of reconciliation and the national service league the wspu and the anti-suffrage society the Union of Democratic Control and the Anti-German League, the German Social and Democratic Party and the Radicals, the staffs of journals as widely sundered by temperament and habit as the Times and the Manchester Guardian, the Morning Post and the Daily News, the Spectator and the English Review, the Vorwurz and the Kreuzzeitung, the Church Times, the Freethinker and the Record. Alex saw humanity as a great mass meeting, men and women, clergymen, lawyers, lords and thieves, hand in hand, lifting together one confused voice, crying for peace, peace where there was no peace, where there could not yet be nor ever had been peace, because—because of what? That really seemed the question to be solved because, one supposed, of some anti-peace elements in every country, in every class, in every interest, nay, in every human being, that somehow subverted and hindered the great desire. An odd world, certainly, and paradoxical, and curiously tragic, but lit by glimmers of hope. 3. More and more through that evening, Alex came to believe that these so-called pacifists, idiotic name as if everyone wasn't pacifist, really had found a way, really had, if not exactly their hands on the ropes, anyhow their feet on a road, that might possibly lead somewhere. It was the same rather breathless feeling of possible ways out, or in, that she had about the church sometimes. Only sometimes for at other times she happened on people who belonged to the church who made her feel that there were no roads out or in or anywhere but only dull enclosures leading nowhere and she hadn't yet attained to the impersonal idealism Daphne urged on her so necessary so difficult a thing which could swallow people for the sake of the causes they stood for she attached too much importance to people She was glad when a young, keen-faced, humorous woman with a charming voice began to speak about continuous mediation without armistice, a fascinating subject, competently handled, a continuous conference of the neutral nations to convey the ever-changing desires of the belligerents to one another, to inquire into the principles of international justice and permanent peace underlying them, to discuss, to air proposals, to suggest, to promote understanding between belligerents. It couldn't anyhow do much harm, and might do much good. It would express the views of impartial observers. Are any observers impartial, Alex wondered, on these vexed questions. It would express, through intermediaries, the views of the peace-seekers in each warring nation to the peacemakers in the others now that they were hindered from direct speech together. For so many thousands in the enemy countries are longing for peace, there must be no mistake about that. Of course, thought Alex, impatient again, how should there be any mistake about so obvious a thing? The only difficulty was that each country longed for peace on its own terms, peace, as they would say, with honour, and no country liked its enemy's terms. This continuous mediation business would perhaps draw them nearer together, make them see more nearly eye to eye. It certainly seemed sound. 4. They're talking sense, all right, said one young officer to another, behind Alex. Then Daphne spoke, on the attitude towards war of the common people in the neutral and belligerent nations, on principle of education, and particularly on the training of children in sound international ideals, her special subject. She told of how in Austria the Women's Committee for Permanent Peace had issued an appeal to parents and teachers, urging them to counteract the influences exciting children to race hatred, and train them in respect for their enemies and constructive national service. A comprehensive subject, treated with breadth, detail and clarity. The young officers again approved. Alex thought how fine a person Daphne looked and was. Gracious, competent, vivid, dominating, alive. Possessed of some poise, some strength, some inner calm. What was it exactly and why? One saw it in some religious people. "'perhaps in them and in Daphne it was the same thing. "'They both had a definite aim. "'They both knew where they were trying to go and why. "'Perhaps that is what makes for strength and calm,' thought Alex. "'Daphne wasn't running away from things, or from life. "'She was facing them and fighting them. "'She's good, isn't she?' said one of the officers. "'I like hearing Mrs Sandomere. "'She never talks through her hat.' so many of these pacifist and militarist people do. Alex was glad Daphne had a sense of humour and didn't rant or sentimentalise. She could talk of the part to be played by women in the construction of permanent peace without calling them the guardians of the race or the custodians of life. She didn't draw distinctions, beyond the necessary ones, between women and men. She took women as human beings, not as life-producing organisms. She took men as human beings, not as destroying machines. She spoke about propaganda work to be undertaken by the SPPP in the country districts. She suggested methods. She became very practical. Alex listened with interest, for that was what Daphne was going to do in Cambridgeshire in the Christmas vacation. It sounded as foreshadowed, sensible and useful, Though, of course, you never know, with meetings in the country, till you try, and not always then. 5. Enough, more than enough, no doubt, has been said of a meeting so ordinary as to be familiar in outline to most people. That it was not familiar to Alex, who had hitherto avoided both meetings and literature on all subjects connected with the war, is why it is here recorded in some detail. There was some more of it, but it need not be here set down. When it was over, Daphne and Alex returned to the club. They sat in the writing-room and talked and smoked before going to bed. "'Rather sensible, on the whole, I thought,' said Alex, lighting Daphne's cigarette. She had more colour than usual, and her eyes were bright and sleepless. Daphne glanced at her sidelong. "'Glad you're proved,' she said. The SPPP is rather sensible on the whole, just that. What about joining it on those grounds? It will only bind you to approve of its general programme, and when you can assist in it. And its programme is really purely educational, training people, beginning with ourselves, in the kind of thinking and principles which seem to make for international understanding and peace. You'd better join us. We're fighting war to the best of our lights and with the weapons at our command. One can't do more than that in these days and one can scarcely do less. One mayn't be very successful and one may be quite off the lines but one has to keep trying in the best way one personally knows. One can't be indifferent and inert nowadays. Well? Alex leant forward and dropped her cigarette end into the fire. Well, She returned and thought for a moment, and added, "'I wonder. I'm not really good at joining things, you know.' "'You are not,' Daphne agreed decisively. "'You sit on hedges, criticising the fields on both sides, "'and wondering what good either of them is going to be to you. "'Such a paltry attitude, my dear. Unpractical, selfish, and sentimental, "'though I know you think you hate sentimentality.' it's quite time you learnt that there's no fighting with whole truths in this life and all we can do is to seize fragments of truth where we can find them and use them as best we can poor weapons perhaps but all we've got that's how i see it anyhow well darling at least it can't do any harm to try and get children and grown-up people taught to get some understanding of international politics and the ways to keep the peace or to look upon arbitration as a possible, practical and natural substitute for war, can it now? If it only in the end results in improving ever so slightly the mental attitude of a person here and there, adding ever so little to the political information of a village in each country, it will have done something, won't it? And, you never know, it may do quite a lot more than that. "'You must remember we've got branches in all the belligerent countries now. "'Free discussion of these things gets them into the air, so to speak, "'trains people's ways of thought, "'and thought, collective thought, is such a solid driving power. "'It gets things done.' "'Thoughts are alive,' said Daphne, "'waving her cigarette as she talked, "'frightfully, terrifyingly, amazingly alive.' They fly about like good and bad germs. They cause health or disease. They can build empires or slums. They can assault and hurt the soul. Unconsciously, in moments of enthusiasm, Daphne sometimes used a prayer book phrase stored in her memory cells from childhood, for her father had been a bishop. Or they can save it alive. They can make peace and make war. They made this war, they must make the new peace. Thought is everything. We've got to make good, sane, intelligent thought, however and wherever we can, all of us. Come and work with me in Cambridgeshire next week, and help me to make it, my dear. Well, said Alex again, I might do that. Come and watch you, I mean, and listen. I think I will do that. 6. It was late. Everyone in the club, except them, had gone to bed. They went too. Alex thought in bed, fighting war, that's what Mr. West said. We must all be doing fighting war. I suppose really, it's the only thing non-combatants can do with war to make it hurt them less, as they can't go. She wrenched her mind sharply away from that last familiar negation that old familiar bitterness of frustration. I suppose, she thought, it may make even that hurt less. On that thought, selfish by habit as usual, a thought not suggested by Daphne, who was not selfish, she fell asleep. End of chapter 15